Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my buddy, my pal, part of this special Alexis on Fire week, Jordan Ratbeard Hastings. From, as I said, Alexis on Fire, from Billy Talent, from Jersey, and from the legendary Hood Rat. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, and he will get the message to me, and uh, we can communicate that way. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for the show. It is very much appreciated. And uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for damien If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it. Subscribe to this podcast and rate it on your platform of choice. Or you can do what my friends at Cream Magazine have done and sponsored this podcast. That is right. Cream Magazine is back. One of the world's greatest music publications ever has returned and it lives up to its legacy. This, of course, is the magazine that legendarily had Lester Bangs, I think, have the first published use of the word punk rock or punk, certainly, way back when in reference to fast, aggressive teenage rock and roll. And this is something that I have relied on for years for reference and research and just my own personal interest in, in finding old back issues and trading and acquiring them. And well, I no longer have to because with the new cream, they have brought back an archive of all the old issues of cream. And I've been pouring over that thing over on the website. The website of course is cream.com and you can head over there and subscribe to this thing. And if you're a fan of Grand Royal Magazine and and Ego Trip and all the ma- music magazines we talk about on this show, I think this might be something for you. There are some fantastic articles about all sorts of stuff that we care about, like everything from Metal Zone pedals to to bands that we talk about on this show. To Martine from Crudos wrote an article for this thing. Come on, what are you waiting for? Cream.com and they like this podcast. Like what a It couldn't be more perfect. Actually, it could be more perfect because this is also a family affair because my wife, Lauren, her uncle, Andrew Weiner, rest in peace, used to be an editor of Cream over in the UK during its initial run. So there you go. Perfect, uh, perfect partnership we've got here over on Turned Out of Punk. So once again, check out cream.com and grab a subscription for yourself or a music lover in your in your life i play in a band we're called fucked up you can find out uh, more information about us and our new record over on our website fuckedup.cc we have a new record called one day out on merch uh I'm, I'm stoked about it i really hope you enjoy it uh people have said some nice things to me about it and uh i thank them for that so if you've enjoyed it i, I appreciate you too maybe if you haven't checked it out maybe you'll enjoy it as well who knows Check out fuckedup.cc for more about that and some shows we have coming up, including tours with like Big Cheese and, and Restraining Order. And we're going out with some great bands. This is going to be a going to be a fun year of touring and playing some shows. So come out, come out and say hi. Come out and say hey. We're working on maybe doing some live podcast dates. I, I shouldn't say that. I'm, <laughs> I have no idea if we're working on that. When I say we, I mean Tristan and I. So who knows? Uh, all right. On to today's show. As I said off the top, today on the show is my friend Jordan Hastings from the band Alexis on Fire, from Billy Talent, from Jersey, from uh, Outspan, uh, from Hood Rat. Someone who has been uh, in a variety of bands. And this is a really fun conversation I've wanted to have for a while because Burlington, Ontario is a, a someone described as a suburb of Toronto. It's a smaller town in the Southern Ontario region that has produced some of the most important, important, there, better pronunciation there, better, better enunciation there, punk to ever come out of this, uh, 
of this region of the country, of this country period. This goes back to Ceramic Hello, and it goes all the way to bands that we talk about on this episode. And yeah, that's it. I'm not going to blather on anymore. As I said, this is a uh, part of a, I guess, two-episode week. Originally, there was a, a plan to do like a Alexa on Fire month, and I was going to have all these episodes, but two of them didn't get recorded, and I, I ended up uh, you know, putting out the one with Steel way back when. Check out Chris Steele on the show. Check out George's episodes on the show. Check out Dallas's old episodes on the show. And I have held on to these for far too long, but... It gives me a chance to tell you, if you have not checked out the last Alexon Fire record, Otherness, what are you waiting for? This thing is a fantastic album. I know it has sold extremely well, and and people have listened to it that are fans of this band. But if you weren't a fan of this band, give this record a chance, because I think this is a... It still sounds like Alexon Fire, but what they're doing is, is different. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed this record. Uh, the part two of this week will be with... Wade McNeil, and that'll be coming out later on uh, in a few days. And But yeah, I'm excited for you to check this out. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Jordan Hastings on Turned Out a Punk. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to be here, man. Good to see you. Well, as I was just literally telling you off air, there yeah. is a, a lot of questions I've wanted to ask you for a very long time. And though we've known each other for a very long time, it's never appropriate to punish someone backstage at a show <laughs> like I can here. You know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, I'm always up for, uh, you know, I'm always up for chatting, but this is the perfect environment for it, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to get to all these burning questions, but first I got to start off the way they all start off, which is Jordan, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Um, high school, it would have been like, uh, late, well, no grade school. Actually, I started going to local shows in and around Burlington when I was, uh, 12 years old. Um, Whoa. like, so like, yeah, so like grade seven or something. Um, and there was obviously a, a couple of punk bands, uh, that were around the Burlington, Ontario area. Um, one being, uh, uh, my, I still talk to some of these guys, the band trunk, Mm -hmm. um, they were like a, yeah so at the time they had only they ended up being more of a skate punk band but um when i first found them they were they were more of like um they were like at sex pistols kind of that kind of sound it was uh uh that's kind of what drew me to them was the that kind of thing and i used to go see them at these weird little shitty shows um in the basement of the ukrainian church here in burlington called saint mary's hall um and uh yeah. So I would have been like 12. I had to ask my mom to go and she was like, you can only go if so-and-so's older sister is going to be there. So I had to go like get a chaperone and shit. Um, but then, yeah, so that was kind of my introduction into the, the, the kind of scene and the punk rock kind of stuff. And it wasn't just punk too. There was a lot of like, kind of like alternative bands in and around that era too. Like I remember seeing um, who played that trunk show. Oh, Gorp, I think played it. Yeah. It was like a, like a cool kind of weird, finger picking kind of rock proggy band, which I, I still listen to them. They're great. Um, and my dad, my dad actually was really into the, the pistols too when I was growing up. So uh, that was kind of how I found that. And then obviously prior to going to local shows, I was into like, you know, like um, I was in my grunge phase prior to that. So, um, but yeah, I would say 12 years old is when I kind of discovered the, uh, the punk rock kind of scene. And I was always a bit of a misfit myself. And, uh, uh, growing up and still am. Uh, so that was kind of an open community of, of other misfits that uh, could get together and, and that kind of feel some normalcy um, in and around the Burlington 905 area. So I fit, I kind of found my, uh, found my people, so to speak. Was your dad in any other punk stuff or just the pistols? No, just the pistols. That was it. He was a rock guy. Uh, yeah. My parents are, were, you know, they're rock. Well, my mom's really into, um, you know, eighties retro, that kind of shit. But so was my dad. My dad has a bunch of Blondie records that I've since stolen from him. Um, <laughs> so like, uh, so there's some punk and Blondie's punk. So yeah, yep, he, he was into a lot of that stuff, but he was also into like, uh, he got me into the doors and Zeppelin and shit like that. Like that was kind of his, his kind of stuff too. So he loved all that kind of stuff. Rush, you know, he loved all that kind of stuff. I think like it's it it's kind of unknown, but Burlington is always been the alternative music hotspot 
in Southern Ontario, going back to like, you know, like spoon and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what was the ceramic hello. And there's like this whole, like, kind of like synth scene that starts in Burlington yeah. in the early or like early eighties, late seventies. Right. Like, yeah, there was, there was like, even like the band, um, uh, uh, what's that band? The Kings switching the glide. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're from Burlington. And like you said, the spoons, um, the band crowbar. Oh, what a feeling. What a rush. Like okay. the original crowbar. Yeah. Uh, I, I recorded at their drummer's uh, spot when I was probably 14 or 13 or something like that. That's uh, he, awesome. Yeah. So there's, there's always been like a lot of, um, there's, there's always been like a melting pot of, of creativity and, and, uh, and music around here for sure. There's, there's something in the water. I, and I know a lot of guys that I met in high school, um that are still playing music to this day like they started out just playing local local you know local punk shows that either we put on or like other other people in the scene put on the grade guys used to put on a lot of shows and the jersey guys used to put on a lot of shows and and my me and my friends put on a lot of shows so there's like a there's a special kind of punk rock diy thing that was happening here well i think even going yeah right up to your era like you mentioned you know grade in jersey but Rainbow Butt Monkeys, Corp, yeah. you know, Trunk, you know, all these bands were bigger Southern Ontario bands on the circuit. Like it was, you know, if, and I'm in downtown Toronto, but to me, Burlington always had like kind of the hotter scene at, at that in the nineties and into the early two thousands. It's weird. Cause it, you're not wrong. Like it kind of did. And why would it, like, it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, there was a few venues that stayed in business for years and there was uh, you know, there was shows constantly every weekend. There was a show somewhere in Burlington or like on the outskirts, sometimes Oakville um, or like, you know, big, the big thing would be for me when I was around that 12, 13 age was uh, we, me and my friends would get a hitch a ride with some of our, friends older brothers or sisters to go see bands in at x club in hamilton which was like a punk rock kind of club back then in the uh in the mid well early to mid 90s that we'd go check out so yeah there was there was a thriving kind of scene of all kinds of music a lot of punk rock there was a lot of kind of like grungy alternative there was a lot of um fuck, there was like a lot of it there was industrial bands coming out coming up around here there's it was nuts man it was a really fun time to be a part of it when you probably played this show because i think it was like an outspan jersey show but there was okay, like yeah. there bane played up here the first time they played burlington right i believe you're right yeah there's yeah. like hundreds of people there i remember i wasn't in town but i remember people going out to that show being like you're not going to believe it like there's way more kids in burlington than there are in toronto shows <laughs> yeah yeah man it was nuts we had um uh fuck, taken came at one point uh, and played where the hell did they play it did they play in oakville maybe uh there was yeah it was nuts man <laughs> super cool you mentioned recording at 14 is that is hood rat your first band or did you do bands before that no i started in like um uh, a band a high school my very first high school band when i was about 12 13 was uh or no it would have been it was, it was before high school i was in a band in grade school um it was called gruel and it was like we used to cover like everything from like, cause we were, we were into a lot of the shit like trunk and science theoric and gorp, but then we were also young enough still to be into like, um, you know, offspring and, yeah. and like and green day and shit like that. So we used to do it. This is kind of just before I kind of really found punk rock, but we used to do like, um, yeah, we do just cover shit. The, the stuff we wrote was terrible, but we used to cover stuff and we didn't really play any shows, but, uh, but we just jammed in our, you know, our buddies, parents basement and stuff actually the drum kit that was in his basement um was the drummer from science Ferix drum kit matt durant and i was a huge fan because uh, uh my buddies uh, my bass player's older brother was friends with matt so he had his drum kit there i didn't have a drum kit at the time so i used to bash around on that thing so <laughs> science Ferix burlington too uh they're hamilton hamilton that's what i thought yeah it's sonic onion yeah. right more yeah yeah it's funny too trunk is a band that like i go back to and i still listen to trunk like i love i love those songs there's some good shit man yeah. i still talk to i still talk to the singer frequently he he's funny he just sent me a a text the other day he's like i guess uh, like some insights showed up on his instagram and it's like shows you who you most um interact with like whatever and he's like and it was me and he's like <laughs> i guess i'm kind of stalking you now with the my the table how the times have changed <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny when uh, I look back on those raw energy bands, and I used to punish the shit out of those dudes. Like the, to me, that was that was the apex. You know, like getting signed to raw energy was like 
That's the dream. It was, man. Yeah, I remember. I remember when my um, my pal Adam Michael, who's still one of my best pals, his band, uh, their name completely escapes me right now. But they ended up signing to. They're like a ska punk kind of band. As out of hand, a lot of those. Was it? Uh, no, no. I'm trying to remember who else was on the label. Uh, no connection. That... They were called. Oh, no connection. Okay. <laughs> they were called no connection. I just remembered it. Yeah. So they they got signed to Right Energy. I was like, what's that like, man? He's like, because we were in a band prior to that band. He's like, ah. Oh, nothing nothing changes man. <laughs> like, yeah. all right fair enough yeah <laughs> yeah no, it's amazing how when you're younger everything seems bigger including other musicians careers yes <laughs> like wow they are they've got to be huge they open for pennywise they gotta be making <laughs> millions of dollars like <laughs> right yeah oh uh, yeah exactly <laughs> so where where would you guys play what was your first live show uh my very first live show would have been not with that band but the next band like the actual grade nine in high school recorded our first tape at a place called the jam zone here in burlington um it was a band called ballistic um and we were where did we play the first show would have been probably um the yellow submarine i believe which was um a club here in burlington uh it was a punk rock club it was in the basement of like a of a Chinese restaurant here in town. And uh, they would serve underage kids. Well, used to, they used to give me a pitcher of beer and I would hide under the tables that they'd move aside and we'd just sit there and drink out of the fucking table and, uh, and then play the show, get picked up by our parents and then go home. And that was, you know, it was a big, it was a big deal. Um, obviously that club didn't last very long, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's but not a very before... long looking business model. No, no, they were there. They were around for a couple of years, though. Like the grade nine and ten for me was going to that place. There was a uh, same like a lot of the people that like Trunk would have played there. Daglo Abortions played there. Um, fuck, Hoodrat played there a bunch of times. Uh, there was they got they, they surprisingly got a lot of pretty shows. decent punk bands coming through there. Yeah, it was it was awesome, man. While it lasted, not a lot of straight edge shows, I imagine though. It's kind of a different. Market. Not there. <laughs> yeah. Not there. No, no. That came that came a bit later. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so did you guys play out apart from that? Or is that the one and only show you guys did? Ballistic would have played that. We would have, uh, there's another place called, um, Vic's place. There was another venue called Vic's place that I, um, I had known of prior to that. Cause I went and saw shallow North Dakota there when I was in still in like grade seven or eight. Uh, like again, a friend's older sister took me. Uh, and then when, uh, uh, when I hit high school, yeah, we did uh, the yellow sub, we did Vic's place. And then there was the, um, there was the gazebo at Spencer Smith Park that used to have uh, free shows every Friday night. Um, it was called Friday Night Live, I'm pretty sure. And uh, they would just set up local bands in the gazebo. There would be like four or five on any given Friday, and we would just play those. There would be like, and there would be like hundreds of people would make it down for those. It was it was pretty cool that the city did that because um, I know it got it gave me a like good head start into the into the whole thing. Um, we did shit like that. Um, that band didn't really venture outside of Burlington too much. And then the band I was in after that was, uh, a ska punk band when I was, I would have been about 14 at this point, maybe 15, uh, Skaliska. And that Skaliska. was like, uh, yeah, that one was, that's a peach. That one, uh, it was like an abbreviation of ska is like ska. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. that last, yeah, it was, that was something, uh, that band lasted for about just under under a year i think and we would have played like you know your oakville ymcas your burlington ymcas the friday night live thing um yeah all in and around burlington i'm trying to think if we ever made it to hamilton i don't recall if we did but, but yeah are, are these all separate scenes like would you know like the ska stuff that's kind of beginning to form around that time would that bleed over and be playing with like grade and trunk and rainbow butt monkeys or is it different it would have there like a lot of it a lot of it didn't um mm. there was a little bit of a the separation between the punk rock kids and like the kind of you know your rainbow butt monkeys uh kind of people um that's they were a little bit of a different scene um we would do a lot of diy shit like i remember with my my guitar player for skaliska he is in another band called uh, green eggs and ham he's no longer with us unfortunately but his other band green eggs and ham the uh the the, I think it was the bass player or guitar player for that band lived just on the outskirts of town and had like a farm almost. 
So he had like a full on punk rock show, like NBC played it. Like it was like, it was fucked. Like it was like, it was absolutely insane. We were like 13, 14 at this point. Uh, this is, or I guess, I, was I 15 yet? I don't even think I was. And yeah, we're like going to see MDC play. There was like the cops showed up, obviously, even though it was in like a field or like a farm, there was still close enough to, to, to town where people were like, what the fuck is there? There's hundreds of kids doing it with cars and shit. Yeah. So yeah, it got, it got shut down. But, uh, but yeah, there was stuff like that kind of happening for the punk rock side of things. And then um, a year or two after that is kind of, they did amalgamate eventually. Um, and then that's kind of when, you know, when this, this kind of like, uh, I guess, late 90s was when the Screamo thing kind of really took off around here. And that kind of amalgamated punk rock and those alternative bands, which ended up kind of being more emo bands. And they kind of mm-hmm. kind of came together. Yeah. It's wild to think that Rainbow Butt Monkeys become Finger 11. Because like, yeah, it, they're, they're so huge internationally and kind of like, you know, <laughs> to me, it's always going to be Rainbow Butt Monkeys because Rainbow Butt Monkeys had hits. They did. They had, t- they had like that first record uh, letters from Chutney was, was the name of it. Um, there was like three or four singles off of that, that were charting and uh, they had videos to go along with them and they were all over much music. Um, and they played city hall, the Burlington city hall had them play a, a free show outside on the city hall grounds, closed down Brant street, which is the main drag here. And probably like 5,000 people showed up. Like it was like <laughs> fucking nuts. I don't think they expected that. There was, thousands of people coming to see rainbow bump monkeys and uh it wasn't long after that success of, of that band where they were i guess their label because they were on a major they were on um i forget which major label it was but their label was like you guys might want to think about changing your name and then they came up with finger 11 which is clearly a penis but i don't know <laughs> is that what it, oh my god that is a watershed moment for me because i had no idea that's what <laughs> i don't know if that's what it is but that's what i've always thought it was i think you're right because like what else would be the uh like the 11th finger I guess the nose. Maybe it's the nose, right? <laughs> I uh, I still I still see those guys around here once in a while. I still talk to their old drummer, Rich. I'll ask him. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, like I remember they were thanked in the Trunk CD, which to me blew my mind because I did think it was kind of separate worlds. But I guess you know it's it's one of those things that the scenes grow and ebbs and flows. So it's sometimes when it contracts, everyone has to play together again, and then when it expands, everyone can kind of do their own thing. Well, that's, yeah, you're totally right. And plus too, like venues started to shut down. Um, and like I said, people's backyards were getting busted. So, um, so there was a, only at a certain point, there was only a few places everybody could play. So, and there's only Fridays and Saturdays really, you know? Uh, so yeah, everyone kind of had to play nice eventually. <laughs> so you mentioned hood rat off the top and you, you wind up joining hood rat. Uh, yeah. I joined them when I was 15. Yeah. So they were by that point they already had the seven inch out i think right the first seven inch. yes they did the fuck corporate punks one fuck corporate punks exactly yeah. classic yeah toronto or sorry southern ontario record but a, a classic for toronto record stores i remember seeing it all the time <laughs> yeah um yeah. but they were a band that was like doing it diy like legit like the whole way through like i remember seeing like they did zines too and there was like yeah whole... um the zine our zine was called um shit uh punk fiction punk fiction that's it i think i have a couple issues of punk fiction even nice yeah and it was and the label too was all diy as well yeah everything meeting those guys i i looked up to them because they were a few years older than me uh Corey and giselle what's her name mm. um those two were a few years older than me so i i kind of looked up to them uh because they were kind of like for like the hardcore kind of punk part of the scene around burlington they were kind of the um, the elder statesmen, so to speak. Uh, so I kind of really had, um, you know, they taught me a lot even before meeting them and them asking me to be in the band. I looked up to them and noticed that they would just go to Value Village, buy a shitload of shirts, screen them themselves. It, it did help that Corey was a very talented artist and would draw everything. He's actually a world-renowned tattooist now. So he's a very talented fella. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so it helped. So he would do all the designs, and then we would like, yeah, we when I finally joined them, we would yeah go to Value Village, buy just random shitty shirts, and screen them, and sell them at our shows, and uh, everything was DIY. Like the, even like the the punk fiction magazines were uh, were just regular letter paper and just photocopied, and then folded over and stapled. That was yeah, it. it's a half size. Yeah, exactly. It was like, yeah, it was like, you know, but they were fucking rad. It was super rad. Um, 
and there was also they were big proponents of the uh, anti-racist action movement at the time because um, there were there were a few like you know racist white supremacist skinheads in and around our area and uh, not for long like there was like a pretty um rapid movement against that and uh anytime one of those kind of little white supremacist pockets would pop up in like the halton region they would be all over it and they'd be gone like it would be like it was it was pretty cool that's awesome yeah i remember watching uh, you know and going to shows and, and watching much music and Corey was one of the first people i would recognize in the punk scene like i saw him uh, at, at lollapalooza and then I saw yeah. him on Much Music, like would cover an event and he'd be in the background because his hair was so recognizable at that point. And then yeah. seeing Hood Rat, I was like, oh, wow. Like, it was like local celebrity status. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. He had the most badass mohawk. He'd have this huge spike, Liberty Spike mohawk. And then he'd have like another one on the side that side. came out this way. <laughs> yeah. Fucking badass, man. It was really, it was really awesome. Was there like a big scene of that sort of like true kind of like punk? in burlington as well like that stuff once the once yeah there was um like hoodrat would have played that mdc show that, <laughs> at my buddy's farm and um once i joined hoodrat we did a lot we played with um we started that's when i kind of started touring around a bit and kind of really um uh noticed like experiencing what it's like to be in a real band um we did some shows with blank 77 we did like a mini tour around southern ontario and shit um and uh who else did we play we played with uh, the spasms and like i would i would take the go train on tuesday nights or wednesday nights and with my gear and meet them downtown because they would already be downtown toronto and we play like this this like dive bar but i was wasn't old enough so i had to stay with my gear in the fucking kitchen until we played and then i'd play the show and then go back into the kitchen they'd bring me like a fucking soda and then i'd uh i'd get my gear back together and scramble to make the last train home to go to high school the next day and i really never i rarely made it back to school because not because i couldn't just because i really didn't want to <laughs> yeah was that the greeks uh, in kensington market uh I'm trying to think where you guys would have been playing then because there's like we would have played uh let me think there was who's emma who's emma definitely yeah uh was the basement we played the basement of who's emma um uh the cathedral would have been one that we yeah. would have played uh the one specifically that wouldn't let me in was it's still there uh it's right was it it's right on queen street maybe queen and augusta no not, is that it no it's down from the rivoli a bit oh 360 I'll have to think cameron house maybe the cameron house okay yeah that makes i sense. think it was the cameron house <laughs> did you ever play spiderland acres I don't think so that was that crazy punk fest just outside of the city limits where it was like an oh, old yeah. punk dude ran it and there's stories of that thing which just seem oh what's his name what was his name was it Amance? no no Amance. Amance is the legend no Amance is yeah yeah no this this guy was decidedly more uh 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 a dirty punk than Amance was okay gotcha right right yeah, yeah Mons was a very very nice fellow very <laughs> yeah pink cut individual yeah that's amazing was he like a hood rat guy yeah oh yeah we used oh, to hang out with awesome. him a lot that's yeah. awesome it's hard to remember a lot about him because i was you know a child but um uh but yeah he was around for sure he used to we used to hang out with him frequently yeah he rules he well rest in peace he passed away yeah uh, years ago but he uh he, he like in in the bomb book of bomb fanzine there's a classified ad from him looking for kinks bootlegs and then in the touch and go book of all the touch and go fanzine there's a classified ad of him looking for recordings of all these like international hardcore bands that were kind of coming out of the time and oh, then here cool. we are you know and then yeah and here we are years later and he's still hanging out with hood rat he was like the first guy to buy the fucked up demo when we put out a demo like he was just always that awesome dude for bands where he was always supportive and just loved music yeah yeah like he was super just a sweet guy too because he was obviously old well everybody was older than me then but like he was quite a bit older than me mm -hmm. um and just just to be around him and chat music with him and it was kind of it was rad man i never i don't have a bad thing to say about that man did you guys uh i mean with hood rat did you tour into the us at all we never did no we did um let me think here we never made it across the border we did a lot of southern ontario stuff we did um a lot of toronto stuff uh i'm trying to remember if we went to quebec or not uh 
if you didn't, that is a huge missed opportunity. You would have gone over. <laughs> I, I know. There. Well, I was the shitty part was that I was still in high school, right? Yeah. So I um I could only take so much time off. And then there was a point too where the band was uh we were three piece and I was drumming, obviously, and then Corey played bass and sang and Giselle played guitar and sang, but uh we were starting to wanting to get a little bit more technical with the music. Um Corey was a phenomenal bass player and Giselle was a phenomenal singer, but she wasn't the strongest uh, at playing guitar at the time. So I ended up, um, I, 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 at the time I was listening to a shitload of propaganda and I was like, I was actually started playing guitar before drums. Uh, so I was way into uh, guitar at that point. I was like, what do you think about me switching to guitar? I've got a pal of mine. who's a sick drummer. He'll be able to like play what I play. No problem. And we'll just be a four piece. Giselle can play guitar as well, or she can just sing or whatever. And they're like, yeah, let's fucking do that. So, um, so then we ended up recording uh, an EP with that and doing a split with the chinkies. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That's Mike yeah. Park's band too. The guy who started that's, Asian that's, man records and, and skank and pickle. Fuck yeah. yeah. So, so we what, ended up doing that split. Yeah. So that's me on guitar playing uh, on that split. And then my buddy, an old pal of mine, um, Dan, who's, uh, I think he's a tattooist now too. He played drums on that record. I got to hear that split because I would love to hear, like I, the only configuration I knew was from the consumerist uh, split 12 inch. Yes. So that was, yeah. So that was the, the, the original, original lineup with me uh, playing drums and Corey and Giselle playing bass. We recorded that at uh, Ruminal Records in Mississauga. Yes. Uh, on, 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 on uh, reel to reel. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time the reel to reel would stop or he'd rewind it, there was some sort of classical music that had already been recorded on it. So he was just recording directly over that, which I thought was funny. Uh, and uh, yeah, Ruinal Records in Mississauga, that would have been 1995 or six, six, I guess. They, they would also just do the tape for you too, right? They were also a tape manufacturing service. Yes. Um, they were yeah he had he had the tapes like racks of tape uh recording machines and he would just rate from the rate from the reel to reel straight to there and then you'd you'd walk out with your tapes yeah doing a diy record at that point was uh was a lot harder (laughs) obviously now too like to actually do it on vinyl like no one did vinyl in southern ontario i'm trying to i'm trying to i don't remember who pressed it for us i really don't remember i have no recollection if we did that yeah, I remember the artwork vividly. I remember the process of doing like doing a split with consumerists because they were pals of ours that were from Kingston. We used to swap shows and tour around and stuff. But I have no idea who pressed that record. There was a pressing plant back then in you know southern Ontario. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Um, but so yeah, there was like I guess a local pressing thing, but it just felt like that was like the real low point for vinyl, right? Like now that's why 90s yeah. records are so collectible. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of vinyl. There was I mean, I was collecting vinyl off my parents, yeah. <laughs> which I oh, which I still have. And you know, there was like Looney Tunes here in Burlington that you'd be able to get some really overpriced vinyl acts. It was rare, but uh but uh yeah, it wasn't there wasn't a ton going around. It was mostly tapes and CDs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh so that stuff that you did with the uh split with Chinkies, is that like kind of like a different direction the band was going into that point? Yeah, the band. Um, yeah, it was the we had been. I guess I, how long I had been in the band at that point? A couple of years, anyway. Um, and we were starting to get some a lot of shows, like a more like more college esque kind of shows. This was kind of like the coalesce when the kind of scene started to merge too. That I noticed. Um, and you know, hardcore was kind of coming in, and hardcore punk was kind of on the way out. And I could see that. And I was kind of not only could I see it, I was into it. I I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was really into Seven Seconds and Minor Threat and shit at that point. So I was right up my alley. Uh, and then obviously Propaganda and stuff. So we kind of, yeah, we kind of shifted in that direction. And then um, uh, at, by that point, the uh, uh, Giselle and Corey were having trouble with their just, it seemed like they were maybe having a bit of trouble personally because they were, uh, they lived together and stuff. Um, and uh, I don't know if they were ever like for sure a couple but they had tried it and it didn't work and there was some animosity and some problems within the band itself so um after that uh that split kind of came out we did a, a bunch of shows in and around southern ontario and then it just kind of fizzled off and i i moved on to um a band with my buddy that was in no connection who was on raw energy 
we started another like back to like a ska punk slash hardcore band, which was fucking weird. But <laughs> that band was called uh, what was it Chapter One? Did um, you guys record or anything? Oh yeah, we got we recorded. There's a whole box of CDs in my mom's basement somewhere. I gotta get yeah. Chapter One CD next time you go to your mom's house. Let me know. <laughs> I'll buy will. one off the merch table. <laughs> yeah, the it was called uh, what did we call that record? The fields of eternal eyes. You can tell we were getting a little bit stonery by that point. That was, yeah, I was full stoner by that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, yeah. it, it's interesting because, um, you know, like uh, eventually, you know, Finger Eleven becomes huge, but I imagine they're not like as much a part of the, the, the scene. But after that, Grade's kind of the biggest band from Burlington you know, to kind of come out. And they kind of start blowing up around, you know, the early 2000s late 90s you know it really starts taking off they did it was interesting because um i was a huge grade fan and i I liked jersey like i was into jersey because i was like uh the band that i was kind of in was also a scott punk band and jersey was a very scott punk band but jersey and grade were sharing like the majority of the members Mm. so they were pretty much the same fucking band other than a couple people um so one by one uh for whatever reason uh people from grade would leave grade and then go with jersey full time yeah. beginning with um greg taylor who's still who's a pal of mine still and um uh kevin their drummer his last name escapes me right now but kevin um he ended up uh leaving grade and going to jersey full time and then um, scooter came into grade i think that kevin finlayson another yeah. kevin kevin finlayson scooter who was a huge drumming inspiration for me right around that time big one i ended up uh, working with him late, years later at a video store and uh oh is that right would just punish him for like great stories and stuff like that he's like why do you care about any of this (laughs) right he doesn't get it like i remember trying to i never talked to him but i remember asking some of the guys in grade about him and they're like yeah he fucking did that in one take he was he was working he had a full-time job downtown toronto and he came in to record that wherever they were recording at the time uh signal to noise it probably was and uh and yeah he came in on his lunch break recorded that whole fucking 10 inch and then just went back to work like how what (laughs) it's crazy too like to to look back at that time like you know and once again it's like the economy of scales like the raw energy thing but i remember jersey and grade both had so much hype but it felt like from two completely separate punk worlds at the time like i remember going to see jersey open for no effects at the same time, grades about to get signed to Revelation or something, and it yeah. felt like, wow, those are like the apexes. And you know, I imagine for Greg, that must have been kind of like a weird juggling act to try and be in both at the same time. I think it was, yeah, it was a weird juggling act. I don't really, I've never talked to Greg on why he decided to pick Jersey over Grade, but it'd be interesting to to find out. Mm. Um, but uh, for whatever, like, I think, I, well, I think the majority of it was Greg's. Um, Greg was really inspired by kind of like Bruce Springsteen and his biggest inspiration was probably Bruce Springsteen. I don't think I'm talking out of school by saying that. Um, but also Rancid was a huge thing at that time as well. Um, and I think the, um, you know, for whatever reason, he felt that the hardcore kind of screamo thing was just not, not something he was super passionate about that anymore. So he, yeah. So he kind of, and Jersey was kind of his baby. Like they kind of, you know, it was his thing to write songs that he wanted to write outside of, of what grade was doing um so one of the best so, demos uh, i've ever heard sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no that's all right yeah so that, that was that was pretty much the end of it anyway so that's kind of i think why he did what he did and, and decided to do jersey full-time which is you know it it, it uh it had its place and we did uh when, when i ended up joining jersey it was um it was a it was a wild ride man it was you know i went from like i was 18 i think when i joined jersey and um we signed to a major label within like six months of that. I was like, fuck me. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, yeah, I remember talking to Greg, I think it was at the no effects show or maybe leading up to the no effects show. 
Was that the one that High Standard opened up? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, they had sushi nice. backstage and everything. That's and, so sick. Yeah. And uh, he was saying yeah, how was he there. Yeah, yeah. It was a that was an amazing show. That was I, a sick show. I didn't play it actually. I wasn't I wasn't in the band yet. I was no. just uh, I was just hanging out. I was I would have been in Hoodrat at that point. Yeah, I think it was like they brought a bunch of people backstage, and it was like a super. It was like a really just amazing time have you been have you you've been to japan and everything have you noticed how huge high standard is in japan i had never noticed but i if, i mean i can imagine because fuck they were kick-ass <laughs> they're they're the they're like the big punk band they're like the blink 182 of japan is that right oh, yeah that's they, awesome. they have their own festival that they headline and and stuff like that like i was i picked up a bunch of high standard records when i was over there <laughs> oh that's so cool i love it there i really do love it there i've gotten to go there i've been lucky enough to go there with alexis and billy talent it's there it's such a beautiful country i love it i'm same same um going back to like when did you play an outspan actually uh i never played an outspan no um i may have filled in for them once though uh i may have filled in for them once i can't i don't think i ever was in the band well, I know I was never in the band, but I, I might have filled in. I filled in for so many bands. I was like the go-to guy. Um, I still am. <laughs> uh, so I was like, hey, so-and-so is busy doing this. Can you learn these songs? Like, yeah, okay, sure. And it was easy because, like, you know, it's it's hall shows or club shows. There's You usually only play for 45 minutes, so it's not rocket science. It's not like, you know, learning Tom Sawyer and um it's uh john worster uh who drums at super chunk and plays drums and mountain goats and everything he was on the show recently and he was talking about how every he notices as a drummer how every songwriter that he works with has like an internal uh metronome that they're writing to even no matter how sure. fast and slow the song's going and how like he can tell who's written that song and it must be fascinating going from all these different bands from such a young age too and just like you know, having to adapt to different songwriters, internal metronomes or lack of a metronome in some cases. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was always, it's, yeah, that's always a thing. Um, still is everybody's got, and the, the problem I always had too, is like the, the BPM, like the beats per minute, if you're playing to a click or not, um, the BPM of a song that someone has written in there, you know, if you're in the rehearsal space is going to change drastically on stage when the adrenaline gets pumping. Right. Yeah. So then you have to know this is why I ended up starting to play to really like to play the click later on in, in my career, just because it's definitive. Like It's like, you don't get the look backs. Like you're playing too fast or too slow. It's like, well, it's, it's the machine dictating the tempo. So, it, so I can bump it up, but it's not me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I used to run into that a lot where like, yeah, you'd, you'd play um, in rehearsal, you'd play the song at the, you know, they'd be like, okay, it's faster, slower. No problem. I got you. And then all of a sudden live, they, it would like jump like, and I wouldn't really realize it because I'm playing the same tempo that I thought they wanted at that during rehearsals. But then when you go into the live setting, it's like, you get the look back. It's like, oh, motherfucker, you got to, you got to speed up or slow down or whatever. So then it would, uh, yeah. So it's always interesting to, to, um, to the difference between rehearsal and then that adrenaline rush that just boosts the, uh, the, uh, the, the song into like another dimension of speed. <laughs> oh yeah like and that's you know when you listen to those ramones live records it's only recently that i found that that was actually more by design but i always just think they were just getting so excited that's why they were playing them too fast when they were doing it live but then it turns out no johnny wanted to fuck with joey and joey is that hated right playing that fast yeah like apparently it really like really upset joey how fast they were playing on stage because he couldn't fit the words in which yeah well that would be you know, um, yeah. you've sung in bands like that's like that is the hardest part is like trying to get your words to fit into the music. And when it's too fast, like, oh, yeah, I wish we played with a click. <laughs> what if I was just that <laughs> next fucked up meeting? We didn't have this click. Yeah, though. right. It's it's got its place. Uh, like a lot of the like, for instance, like the older um, Billy Talent and Alexa stuff. I never played the click because it, yeah. it had its ebbs and flows. And that was part of the part of the appeal of the music. Right. So I just learned the tempos and learned the vibe of the of the guys and kind of where they wanted it. But the newer stuff, I love playing to click because we'll still bump it up a few for, for live, for live purposes, but it's, um, it gives it to the cool thing about it is I can back, I can back off the click or go ahead of the click as, as needed. But then the guys are also comfortable because it's at a speed that they're comfortable playing it at and their vocals are able to, you know, they're able to fit all those syllables in comfortably and it's got a good uh, vibe for them, but it's also, 
great for the rest of the band, everyone playing instruments as well. So you can kind of, you know, I push it forward a little bit or I pull it back just to kind of um, give to what the song kind of needs at that point in time during it. Yeah, I guess it gives like, yeah, as you say, it allows you to kind of like control that adrenaline hit that's coming. You know, you don't have to worry yeah. about riding it because it, it has a... its time. Yeah, it has its time and time and place. I don't use it for it. Like I think there's only like a handful of Alexa songs where we actually anything new, like anything Crisis or newer, we would use it. But anything prior to that, we don't need to. So uh, when you joined Jersey, that's when you, your first time touring internationally, I guess. Like uh, yeah, the US, yeah, I mean. that would have been the first time to the U.S. Yeah, yeah, that was a mind trip. I would have been 18 when we started going down south. Yeah, what were those tours uh, like with Jersey at that point? It was rad, man. They would, so they had um, they had just been sponsored by uh, West Forty Nine. Um, funny enough, the bass player from Trunk, Jerry, uh, was a higher up at West Forty Nine by that point, and so he had. Uh, they were able to sponsor us, and they gave us a lot of free clothes, and the you know they bought us a trailer for us to uh, put all our gear in to go down there and just put a big West Forty Nine sticker on the back, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny to think about. So yeah, we started cooking down to. Uh, down to the south, down to the states. Uh, the very first thing I did with them down south was um, we were getting looked at by uh, David Basin, who's a, a record records guy. I think he ended up working for it. Was he on Roadrunner at the time? He was like an A and R guy that was pursuing us. Uh, so we did a couple of uh, showcase shows down there. We did one at CBGB's, which was a fucking trip, um, and then we did another one. Oh man, I forget the name of the other venue, but it's also a pretty renowned venue. Um, was it, had all these... was it Max's or something, or, or not? It was Maxwell's. in Manhattan. It was in Manhattan still, but um, I'm just trying to think of what the name of the venue was. Knitting Factory. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't think of it. it. Wasn't the Knitting Factory? Mercury Lounge. Yes, thank you. That's one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're good. You. <laughs> yeah that was it so yeah we did cbgb's and the mercury lounge and played for all these uh these record execs and you know major label people and 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 shit and then uh that was the first time experiencing the states and that was um that would have been 2000 and late to no 2002 that would have been sometime in 2002 so it was uh shortly after the twin towers actually i remember going to ground zero right after uh we in the middle of doing all these shows and just like seeing the reality of that <laughs> that's that was a that was a hard hit for an 18 year old kid i'll tell you it was pretty wild mm -hmm. um the whole thing was just uh, i'll never forget that entire experience going to the states for the first time doing something that you never thought you'd be able to do drumming for a living and going down there and we didn't make any money but who gave a fuck you know we were we were uh we were down there doing what we love to do and, and seeing the world and traveling and getting to play CBGBs and like, you know, just that it was, it was pretty crazy, man. It's a crazy time. Well, so it's also a pre Alexa on fire, Billy talent world where yeah. there's no, uh, there's no one who's kind of like carved out a path to like success out of this thing, you know, like, it's just like, what do you you like you you know you're making your own roadmap at this point like now you know post you know the success that both of your bands have had like it's there's there's a lot more you know ceiling for doing this kind of thing in canada yeah yeah certainly yeah at the time there was we were just happy to uh you know get our five i think we made i think we had like a five dollar a day per dm or something <laughs> Which is enough for for a pack of smokes and a bag of chips. <laughs> That's about it. Or a Taco Bell combo. <laughs> yeah, they, oh yeah, oh yeah, that was a big one. We used to definitely eat a lot of Taco Bell. So how did the how did the uh, signing to a major label thing happen? So yeah, so we did those those showcase shows down in the down in the New York, and um, there was two people that were really interested in us: uh, uh, Tracy McNamara, who was um, working for EMI up here in canada and then david basin who was a canadian guy but working down in manhattan i, I want to say it was for roadrunner but i can't remember it might he might have been a subsidiary i can't i can't recall exactly who it was um but um so they were they were our like they were fighting for us for jersey they really wanted us to succeed um and they introduced us to uh oh what was the name of that management company it was it was rob lanny uh rob lanny's management company up here in in uh in toronto i can't the name of the company escapes me right now but so that we had like a good strong team of people that really 
loved the band. And then you throw in uh, Mr. George Strombolopoulos on top of that, who was a huge fan of, of Jersey as well. And he was a proponent for us and he was really trying hard to spin us on, on much music and stuff. And um, your shirts so, too. And, and yeah. Yeah. Right. So we had a lot of people that really loved us and it didn't, you know, it, it was um, we were very lucky and very fortunate and we knew that. So we wanted to fight and, uh, and try to get our, you know, bust into the scene, into that. Uh, we just wanted people to hear our music basically, because we had some success in and around Southern Ontario and had done some stuff across Canada um and a, you know the guys jersey guys before i just before i joined had just done a run of uh, sh uh shows in the states that were that did okay so um so we wanted to just get out there and do as much stuff as we could and 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 these you know the, those people really helped us out and then uh yeah so when we signed to emi they didn't really know what because emi at that point was like a conglomerate there was like all these different labels underneath the emi umbrella it's funny that emi doesn't even exist anymore but so it was like emi virgin capital i think in canada and they didn't know where we fit because we were such a unique kind of punk rock band that didn't really you know didn't really fit the mold like they tried to introduce us to songwriting producers and stuff and we were like no fucking way are we doing that um <laughs> in hindsight it would have been terrible but at the time we were like no thanks um <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, so like that was we signed, ended up getting uh, the Virgin moniker was the one that they picked. Virgin uh, Virgin Music Canada was the moniker that they chose for us to be on. So that that was uh, it was a pretty cool experience because at the time, major labels were still a thing uh, for rock bands. They still had money and the people were still buying records. So they, um, you know, they kind of spoiled us. I remember they bought like a bought me a nice uh, Canada goose jacket. That I still have. I still wear it snowmobiling when it's like Whoa. minus twenty. Um, some good swag. Like, it's, they treated us really nicely, and it was that was weird for for us because we all kind of grew up on the other side of the tracks, like you know, uh, pretty modest upbringing. So it was, uh, you know, it was an interesting time. Um, but then we kind of saw the writing on the wall when we wouldn't budge, and they were kind of like, "Well, we give you money, so you need to budge." And we're like, "Sorry, <laughs> I guess that's you know, you know, we did we did the major label record thing, and then." um kept trying to to keep to keep the the you know the train on the tracks and eventually you get to a point like those guys are a few years older than me too so you get to a point where life gets in the way and you've got to choose you know are you gonna keep slugging this out or are you gonna you know what are you gonna do so it was a it was an eye-opening experience and uh an interesting one um to be on a major at that point but uh but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, um, it has its pros and cons for sure. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Did, did you, uh, was there any overlap between you doing stuff with Alexis or did you, did the two bands play together? Even? Yeah. Th so that's kind of how I met those boys. Um, Jersey got offered to do later in our career. Um, we got offered to do uh, shows with, um, with Alexis out East. I think it was an East coast run. Um, and there was some Quebec shows in there as well. And uh, so it was, was it, uh, I'm trying to think who was all on the bill. It was Jersey, Alexis. I believe it was at the mercy of inspiration and um, pre-cancer bats. Uh, maybe the cancer bats. Yeah. Or, or that, at the mercy was pre-cancer bats, wasn't it? Oh yeah. No, you're right. You're right. No. Yeah. It wouldn't be cancer bats. I did do an East coast tour with the cancer bats when, when I was in Alexis, but yeah. um, later. Uh, so this, yeah, I don't think they were that. So yeah. So that's how I met those guys. And we immediately fell in love. They were, you know, great dudes. Um, same, you know, same very strong working ethic that, that we had. Uh, so we ended up kind of doing falling in love, like a full on bromance on that tour. And then, um, and then that summer or the summer after we ended up splitting our very first tour bus uh, on warp tour. We were both sick of doing warp tour in a van because it's terrible. Um, so we decided to put our bunts together, our, our, sh and our shekels, and we, we ended up, uh, splitting a bus, our very first bus. It was a 1980s Eagle. And we mainly bought it because, uh, warp tourism is a nightmare and you just can't get away from the, the, the heat in a lot of the cities. Cause you're just in a, on a tarmac in a parking lot and there's just no way to escape the heat. So if you have a bus, at least you can go in there and cool down a little bit and have some, get some sleep and you don't have to drive yourself, which is nice. Wait, you guys bought so, a bus? 
No, we just split renting one. Oh, split rent one. I thought you bought, you bought one. I'm like, who's driving this thing? <laughs> no, because they're expensive. Buses are really yeah. expensive. And uh, so we, anyways, we were super excited. The bus picked us up, picked them up at the Penn Center in St. Catharines. And then they met us here in Burlington at the Burlington Mall. And we all got on the bus. And the first stop was Quebec City. And everything was great. And then uh, we came to realize that the fucking air conditioner didn't even work. <laughs> so it was even hotter than uh. that. <laughs> so we were just it was a sweat box it was nuts and then at night at night you would there would be some solids that's when the air conditioning actually would work and you would get at least be able to sleep for a little while yeah um but yeah during the day it was a nightmare it was just a great bonding experience i think that being our first bus and doing warp tour together on it and living together for i think we did it for like almost a month i would have been around um that was a, a, a you know wonderful bonding experience for the jersey guys and the alexis guys and and um and then shortly thereafter, when Alexis was looking for uh, for someone to fill in for a little while, um, Jersey had just broken up. And McNabb from Jersey and uh, Outspan and The Creep Show, he was tour managing Alexis because um, they needed someone to tour manage him. And they were on the East Coast. And uh, they were like, well, we need a drummer right quick. Uh, who can we get? And McNabb's like, why don't you get Beardo? Like, Rap Beardo will do it. It's like, well, can he do that? He's like a Scott Punk guy. Like, no, 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 he's not. He's just, <laughs> he just, he's just really, he just plays everything. He can, he can, I'm sure he could figure it out. Uh, so then they called me and, and uh, Wade called me actually. And, um, and asked if I could do the shows and go on tour with them for like, there was a month uh, through the States down in the Southern States and then across Canada with Rise Against and then a couple days home and then another month over in Europe. Uh, with rise against and then rise against would be splitting a bus with alexis over there and i was like yeah i can fucking do that yeah sure that sounds good <laughs> let's do it so i learned i learned like i don't know i think like 12 of their songs or something in like two or three days as they were driving home from uh moncton and then we met up at wade's mom's house in the basement and and played together for i think two days maybe and then hit the road and yada 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 here we are today 20 years later <laughs> So had you done the warp tour in a van prior to getting in this bus? Yeah. That's yeah, insane. Alexa, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Jersey did it a couple of times. Not the full thing because you couldn't. There were bands that did the full thing in a van. Yeah. Um, but like I said, the, the guys in Jersey were a couple of years older than me. So they were like, you know, they'd already done the van thing for a few years before I came along. And they were like, no fucking way are we doing it longer than a couple of weeks. So we would get offered like a, a chunk of it, uh, maybe like a, you know, a couple of weeks of it. Um, and we would do that and then, and then head home, uh, because it's just, it's too much. It's too much to do in a van. And plus there's no money in it really. Like you're like, a, it's, you're literally living off of five to 10 bucks a day and you're not getting paid really. Um, it, maybe you'll get some money from merch to keep the fuel tank full, but, uh, you come home at, at a loss generally. We would yeah. anyway. Yeah, like a lot of bands, well, I guess they would sign major labels later on. Like that would be like, uh, you know, tour support that the label would pay for to try and get the band hype because it was, you know, it, it was a great way to get exposed as a band yeah. to a bunch of kids at once. Yeah, yeah. It, like it was, it was, um, the shows were super fun uh, for the most part. But then again, some of the shows and some of the weird warp tour cities that they'd go to weren't so fun. <laughs> you know, you're playing like the, the worst stage to nobody at 11 30 in the morning and you're like oh my god this is, this is terrible <laughs> but uh, it's all part of the experience what about the year a few years later and i talked to wade about this too where uh there was almost that divide where the old punk bands hated the new punk bands and uh there was like the the warp tour civil war almost it, it, was there do you know who between whom i don't know if i remember, I remember the it was the year that under oath was on and no effects was on oh yeah less yeah, than yeah. jake and there was like beef between bands and bands would talk shit on each other on stages and wade was saying certain people wouldn't let you go into their barbecue because you know you weren't part of that clique or something funny thing about that one of the barbecues um there that i remember that year billy talent was on on that year and uh, so was alexis and I was I with Alexis or was I with Jersey? I can't remember right now. I don't I know I would have been with Jersey then. So it was Jersey, Alexis splitting a bus, and then Billy Talent was also on. And uh, there was like, yeah, one of those like elder statesman barbecues. And um, Ian and I and Jesse, the old drummer from Alexis, were in there hanging out with some of the older guys and 
um, for whatever reason, Ian and Jesse were hugging or something and they tripped. And the, I forget which band it was. Uh, maybe one of the other guys would know. It was like Bouncing Souls or it might have been like No Effects. It was one of the older, older punk bands. Uh, they had been like preparing these steaks all day. There's so there's so few things to look forward to on work tour. These guys were probably so stoked to have these steaks, and they were on the grill on like a like you know like a charcoal grill. And for whatever, Ian and Jesse like got entangled and then tripped and then fell onto the grill. The steaks went flying, oh, launched, no. landed right on the ground, completely inedible. And then we got kicked immediately out. <laughs> so. <laughs> Maybe that was why the beef started in the first place. I don't know, but that would make sense. Beef over beef. <laughs> right? Yeah. That, was, uh... Uh, yeah, that was terrible. I felt so bad for those guys. But and also like Jesse and, and Ian, I think they got minor burns from that. <laughs> like they fell right on the grill. Oh my god. Well, yeah, charcoal barbecue too. That's like not a not a fun thing to land on it under the best of circumstances, let alone in a hostile post-warp tour elder statesman barbecue. Whatever. No, <laughs> sure, no one's handing out band-aids or aloe vera or any creams to help you at that point. No, no, there was, it was an immediate get the fuck out of here. And then, uh, and then I don't think we really talked to them ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a blast talking to you, Jordan. Me and... too, man. We got to do this again. This was super fun, man. I had a I'll... blast. It's great to fucking think about all that, all that stuff from back in the day. I never really think about it anymore. It's a lot of fun. Well, you've got like this amazing, you know, like, and I think it's, 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 you know, yourself included in this, but like you think about that scene and how small these shows were and yet you have yourself finger 11 fall off the earth, like all this stuff coming out of this, like, you know, this and grade, of course, yeah. Jersey, you know, like there's just like a, it's a fascinating uh, time and place. So thank you for taking me through it and help me connect some of these dots. <laughs> anytime, my friend. Anytime. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jordan, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Jordan will be back at some point for a part two. And we will, uh, there's a lot more to discuss because we really didn't get to the part of his career where he started really, really touring the world um, with Lex Fire and Billy Talent. Check out Otherness wherever you pick up your records. Uh, check out, and check out Jordan on tour with Billy Talent and Alexon Fire playing uh, probably a large venue near you some point soon. Huge thank you again to Cream Magazine for coming on board and helping this podcast out. Check out cream.com, grab a subscription to this thing and, and flip through it, flip through an issue. I really do think if you're a fan of the glory days of music magazines, they, they are back and you can check it out there. And then you can check out the archive because there's tons. Oh my gosh. I'll be talking about that more in the next few weeks. I promise you. Speaking of things coming soon, coming up on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk, Wade McNeil will be here from Alexa on Fire for a part two. Uh, this is once again part of this otherness week that I'm doing, Alexa on Fire week uh, around here. I'm excited for you to hear it. Check out Wade's first appearance on the show way back when, and we catch up and have a, a fun little short conversation, and you'll hear it coming up here on the show very soon all right that's it remember as always black lives matter the lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter we need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and races and nationalities and just stop all this sort of hatred and violence because this isn't political stuff that we're talking about when we're talking about racism and homophobia and transphobia and, and violent misogyny. We're, we're talking about basic human rights. People deserve to not have to worry about this stuff and to live free from these sorts of things. So uh, get involved. If there's organizations that are doing positive work in this world that you believe in, you stand behind, or you, you, you want to see uh, make headway, get involved. Donate time, money, if you have it whatever you can be the change you want to see. You know, that's what I try and tell myself too, all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, speaking of things that I would also like to add to this list, we got to make sure that 
people are able to do what they want with their reproductive systems and are free from laws that impose things upon them and, and take away those rights and restrict those rights. <sighs> Heavy stuff. Um, Secret of getting involved, though, start a band, start a fanzine. Punk rock it gets better with your participation. So do something, you know. Maybe just draw a picture for yourself. Maybe draw a flyer. Flyers are cool. Flyer art is really cool. And you don't see it as much of it anymore. Maybe you do. Maybe I'm just oblivious to it now. But, you know, draw, draw a flyer. So speaking of doing things, sign your organ donor cards. Because by the time they come looking for the, your, your organs, you don't need them because you're, you're dead. You're brain dead at that point. So they just take your organs and hopefully someone else can get life from them. So uh, sign those cards, please. I've seen it do miracles. I've seen people come back to life after that shit. Um, not after they were brain dead and their organs were taken. I mean, I mean, like the people with organs came back. And, I'm, and it sounds like I'm being an asshole and fucking around, but I swear to God, I've seen it happen. Um, try meditating. Because I didn't believe in it. And I know people have done it for thousands, thousands and thousands of years. People have realized that centering yourself and, and focusing on your breath and quieting your mind is beneficial. But I, I don't know. I didn't believe in it. And now I do. So try meditation. And I think that's it for me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.